Welcome to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean Graham. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham coming at you today nearly live from Ottawa, Ontario. And for the past 108 shows, we really haven't talked about anything that I have personally worked on. So today we have something that I've personally worked on. I figured after 108 shows, it was appropriate to finally talk about something because I just worked on a book that is recently released, came out on November the 10th, 2017, entitled Lace Up, A History of Skates in Canada. And I am honored to be joined today by the principal author of that book, Jean-Marie Leduc. Welcome to the show. Hello. Let's talk about the background of this book. So the book is obviously the history of skates and... We started working on this three and a half years ago, I think. Yes. And you have, as far as I know, the world's largest private collection of skates. That's what I'm told by people in the know, like the Hall of Fame, uh, Speed Skating Canada, which is an international organization with uh, ISU. And I did uh, some showings, did 53 exhibitions, and every time... I showed my skates or part of my collection. This is what I was told by people who are in skating or hockey or figure skating for years and years and years. And they all say, we've seen old skates before, but never a collection that shows the evolution of the skates. You have, I can't remember the actual number now, 370? 367 to be exact. (laughs) So so that's a lot of skates. And... What most people ask me when I tell them about the book and I tell them about the collection is, one, how did he start this? And two, is he out of his mind? Because that's just so many pairs of skates. Well, when I started, it was because my son was in speech skating, and eventually I got to be elected president of the Pacers Speech Skating Club. And having been uh, a volunteer with Winterlude for the past three years, I was accustomed to thinking far ahead for Winterlude events. And all of a sudden, I realized after being elected president of the Pacers, I realized that Centennial of Speed Skating was coming up in 1986. So I thought, well, it's nice to have a steak or chicken wings or whatever (laughs) for 100th anniversary dinner, but will the people over there or at the dinner, will they know what people skated on a hundred years back. And this is how I got the idea of showing old skates from way, way back. And I never thought I'd I'd go that far. (laughs) (laughs) So the collection starts organically. It starts small, the small number of skates. Why continue it after that initial run to celebrate that centennial? When I started, I met this uh, man who had been in skating since 1905. He was born in 1893, in 1895 rather, and in 1906 he was a mascot of the uh, Ottawa Senators. And I met him by mere coincidence because I was looking for old skates in an antique store and the man asked me what I was looking for and when I said I'm looking for old skates he said go and see my uncle. And his uncle happened to be Jack Barber. When I went to see him I explained to him what I was looking for, and he gave me four pairs of skates. So right away I said, okay, these are old, but there's got to be others. And 
all of a sudden I ended up with 40 pairs of skates, for 48 rather, for Centennial, 1986. And I said, there's got to be more. So I said, if I go to 100 pairs, I'll stop. <laughs> and eventually I ended up with more because every time I was looking for old skates, I would find different skates, uh-huh. different old skates. So I said, hey, eventually I ended up collecting skates from Russia, from Finland, from Norway, from from the uh, from Netherlands, from the United States. There was no end to it, but I kept on going. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I say, enough is enough, and uh, I still kept on <laughs> until I reached a certain age, and I said, that's it, I gotta stop. But you haven't, because the the collection's bigger than when I met you. So <laughs> you I still add I still <laughs> added a, a new pair or a different pair two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> So, so the collection's actually, it's really cool. I've had the opportunity, of course, to see every pair in the collection because we went through and we cataloged the whole thing. But you've done a lot of stuff with it. You've done a lot of exhibitions with it. You've gone on the road and taken it to different places, including maybe most notably the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. Uh, you've also done stuff with what was the Museum of Civilization uh, over in Gatineau. How does it go from... Centennial of speed skating, small 40 pairs to 100 pairs, to you being invited to go to these large national and, and international events to showcase your collection. Well, <laughs> I had two, how would I say, uh, two hobbies. I became a designated announcer for speed skating, and with a microphone. I eventually uh, graduated to level three, which is a top level for announcing. And every time I would be invited to go to a competition as the, the in-house announcer, first thing I would do is I would go to an antique store and see if they had old skates. Eventually, I ended up with a whole bunch of skates, but they had to be identified. They had to have their own story. So I started digging and digging, and it was hard because there's no real information as for skates going back 15,000 years. Mm-hmm. And I said, people will be interested in knowing the history of the apparatus that they use on ice in wintertime. And I never stopped, never stopped, never stopped, and I'm mm-hmm. still, <laughs> like you said, I'm still at it. And... There's no way I can stop because people ask me every day, like the Hall of Fame, sometimes they'll give me a call and call so-and-so or so-and-so will call me after calling the Hall of Fame. Uh Uh, Same thing with uh, uh, Europe. They call me and say, are you the skate collector? So I'm considered an authority, even though... I don't like to call myself the authority because <laughs> I don't know if someday I, I, I'll meet someone who knows more than I do. Right. We but argued about this when I first met you, mm-hmm. that I wanted to use the word authority. You didn't like that. No, because uh, you never know who you're going to meet <laughs> in, in future life. I, I could meet, uh, I met an awful lot of people who knew about skates, but not the knowledge that I have acquired mm-hmm. through meetings and through travels or through trips uh, traveling with uh, speed skating. 
So you go to an exhibition. How do you decide out of those pairs? Because obviously you can't display over 300 pairs in an exhibition. What is the, the process through which you decide what you want to display? Most of the time when I'm asked to go for with my skates for an exhibition, they will tell me what they want. Uh, I remember doing one for school kids from grade one to grade five, and they wanted children's skates, which happened to, I happened to have. So I did an exhibition for children. Sometimes they will say, well, we, we want an exhibition on speed skates only. So I'll have the speed skate, the evolution of the speed skates, or a variety of skates depending on the event. Mm -hmm. Like in Vancouver, because it was Olympics, they told me that they wanted to show the, the apparatus itself in all the disciplines or in all the uh, portions of the uh, sports on ice, whether it's hockey, speed skate, and especially on speed skate because the uh, organization that had asked me for Vancouver was the Speed Skating Association of Canada. Mm -hmm. Also, the fact that uh, Canada is an excellent country for, well, they have excellent athletes in speed skating. We have, Canada has won nine consecutive world speed skating championship in relays, mm -hmm. which is a record that we'll never see again because of competition. So I had to stress on speed skating for Vancouver Games, but my collection showed all the type of skates, but an accent uh, a more more accent on speed skating. Right, and that's what I noticed going through the collection too. There's certainly an emphasis in there on speed skating, but you have hockey skates, you have figure skates, and then you have skates that predate the sports, and they're really just skates to get around on ice. Yeah. I have uh, my oldest pair is bone skates from uh, 15,000 years back, and when I purchased this, the lady said that they were buffalo bones, but when looking at them, I realized that they were not only buffalo bone, but they had been used for skating. Because I could see the two holes on the front and the two holes on the back, meaning that they were used, those, those holes were used to uh, put in the laces, the leather straps for tying them to their shoes. After this, uh, there's a uh, bone skate from a whale. 2,900 years old, and then there's uh, another one from the 3rd century, and we have to wait until 1,452 to see the first metal blade put on a, on a woodstock. So in between, there's always bones and bones and bones. <laughs> but people are saying, well, how do they skate on bones? As opposed to today, well, I keep saying, well, don't see skating 15,000 years back as we see it today. Think of being on the ice and pushing yourself with a pole, a little like they do in skiing. And the bones were there just to keep balance on the ice so that you wouldn't uh, fall off. And in 1452, someone either in Netherlands or Norway had the idea of using metal to put on a woodstock. That really revolutionized the whole thing of, of yes. transportation on ice. Because before then, the other, the other thing I think is, is interesting that you explained was when we talk about skating on a bone, obviously the motion is different from how you would skate today. And you would also have poles usually yep. to help navigate. So it, it's almost like a skiing motion that you're using the pole to, like a cross-country ski motion, 
but you're on ice. Yes. Essentially. That's right. So when they put metal on it, it creates a situation where you can have a lot more control and you can really get rid of the poles. That's right. That's right. And uh, sometimes uh, using the poles, sometimes a uh, skater would have only one pole. Sometimes they would have two, depending on the ability, depending on the skill. And eventually, when the uh, metal blade came out, well, the poles took a hole. <laughs> <laughs> so you have this collection that, that demonstrates this, and then we get into the sports, and, and you mentioned figure skating, speed skating, and hockey. And the skates reflect the changing requirements of each sport. I think the best example, to me the best example, is in figure skating, where it goes from a big rounded front at the toe, right, a big loop, uh, to picks, and then the picks evolve as they get into more jumps and, and that kind of stuff, where you really need the picks. Mm -hmm. So what's really cool to see as you go through the collection is how the sport needed the changes in the technology or the, the sport sort of facilitated that. As people wanted to try new things, the equipment had to go with it. And that's something I don't think we think about, right? We talk a lot about athletes being, you know, bigger, stronger, faster than mm -hmm. they used to be, but then the skates that they're on, even from 50 years ago, have changed significantly yeah. to allow the increased performance that we've seen. The one person who's, uh, who we can say is responsible for the change in figure skating is Jackson Haynes, who was a world champion, and he had skates with no picks. The, the front of the blade was 45-degree angle from the blade to the boot. And he was a ballet dancer, and he started jumping. But before he had those skates, they were on wood, and there's a curve on the, uh, on the woodstock to allow them rocking. There was a curve in the woodstock and a curve on the blade. And Jackson Haynes, when he started jumping... You, they realized that something had to be done to improve the skate. So this is how the rounded tip of the, the blade at the toe was done. And eventually, the picks were added, but only in 1886. From 1860 to 1886, they, did, they didn't have those picks. And when we see the, the picks added to the front of the, uh, the, the blade at the toe, this is where improvements in the jumps started mm -hmm. and we see what we see today triple loots double loots uh saltos yeah. but without the pick that couldn't be done right and and so that's what and the, the collection really shows that really well that the need for a pick and then strengthening the pick too right the the shape of the picks changes yes as you need it more so that's what's really fun and, and the same thing happens Certainly, you love speed skating, and the idea of the clap skate is huge. The um, short track speed skate, which I didn't realize was noticeably different from a long track skate when we started. Of course, it is extremely different where the blade is located, the, even the shape of the blade and mm -hmm. the height of the blade, all these things that to lay people, you'd never know. Well, uh, short track and uh, long track are two different sports, even though they're both on skates on ice yep. they're two different sports because the technique is completely different and long distance or long track competitions have been going on since 1875-1880 but short track was done locally or nationally with skates used for long track mm. 
And this is why the International Olympic Committee never accepted short track as an Olympic sport because people were falling all the time. Until Raymond Labert from Quebec, after retiring from the national team, decided to create a skate specifically for short track. And in 1988, we see the demonstration sport, which is not done anymore prior to Olympic. The Olympic Committee decided not to have pre or demonstration sport anymore. But in 1988, they used Raymond Labert skates just to show that it was a real sport and people were not falling. They would fall if they slipped, but not yeah. because of the skate. Right. And it didn't take very long for the Olympic Committee to accept short track speech skating as an Olympic sport. Now, long track also has uh, its own history. I was in, uh, in Holland way back in 1983 when I, I saw at Vane two skaters on the Olympic Oval with two men taking notes as they were going, and I could hear every time they'd go by or every step they would make, I could hear... Well, I couldn't figure out what it was until I, they came close to me and I saw the clap skate. Well, the clap skate was sold back in 1998, 1986, but people buying those skates thought they were fairly new. But I knew that... It existed way, way back, but not with metal, but it was a wood skate, 29 inches long, and it was called a river skate, and it's the exactly the same principle as the clap skate that we have today. And when I showed this to the delegation from all over Canada at the annual meeting, they just couldn't believe it because everyone in ISU as well as the, the Canadian Championship or Canadian uh, Speed Skating Association, they all thought that they were recent, a recent idea. Well, it goes back 1871. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were produced in uh, 1869, but it, the one pair I have is 1871. And without the clap skate today, you cannot be in contention for a medal. On long track. Yeah, there's no way. So so this is the interesting part, too. I think a lot of people don't really know the actual physics of skating and why clap skates are really good because the longer the blade is on the ice, the faster you can go. Right? That's why speed skaters have try, try and have really long strides so that the blade is on the ice for as long as possible because that's where you pick up yep. speed because the essentially what happens is that the metal melts the ice and you have a thin layer of water so when you're gliding on the ice it's the friction creates the water which is what allows you to go which is why when there's snow that prevents that from happening and you need to clear the snow off so you can have a direct connection with the ice and that's why clap skates are so effective and i i think most people don't know that well the 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 skate stays on the ice longer than uh than an ordinary hockey skate or figure skate and this is what, like you say, this is what allows the skater to be faster, and every stride he, he'll make, I think there's seven inches more on the ice. Seven inches doesn't seem much, but over 10,000 meters, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And when they, uh, when they tested these skates, it didn't take very long to realize that the records would be broken. And 
in speed skating, we know Catriona Lemedon, Catriona Lemedon. When she was told that she had to wear these, she couldn't because it was a different technique. Right. But she was told that she had to if she wanted to compete. So that's how effective the clap skates are today. Yeah, they're crazy because you see, all you have to do is go and look at like world records on all the different dif- disciplines. Uh, and they've been smashed since the start of the clap skate. All records are smashed with yeah. thanks to the clap skate. And the same happened to uh, the short track skate when uh, Raymond Leberge came out with these skates. The records were sla- slashed or smashed or beat yeah, simply, because, simply because the, uh, the skater could be longer on the ice mm-hmm. because the boot allowed him to make the turns, whereas before... A lot of them would fall. There was no record. And today, if we want to talk speed, when I started in speed skating, the speed was 29 kilometers an hour. It's now uh, in in, uh, short track, 29 kilometers an hour. And today, it's 40 to 49 kilometers an hour. And in long track, with the clap skate, it's now 61 kilometers an hour, which is extremely fast. It really is. Like it's faster it's than the speed limit on a road. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, you mentioned the boot. Uh, now, this is something that it took you a really long time to explain to me about what you consider the skate. Right? You don't really count the boot as the skate. No. The, uh, my reason for this is that the skate is the portion of the apparatus that's in contact with the ice. The boot itself can be your own shoe with a metal blade attached to it. Right, so which we have, you have examples of those in yeah. the collection, yeah. And the, the, the uh, original word for skates is scats, which is S-K-A-A-T-S. And the original word for patin, mm-hmm. which is a French word, is from patte, which is a leg, but it, it's a game on word. In French, we, we will buy, let's say, a lady would buy a, a new pair of shoes, and we will say it creates a beautiful patte, which is the leg. Right. But the, in French, for, for English people, it's hard to grab, but for French, la belle patte, which it means that the shoe itself or the, the uh, apparatus creates a beautiful patte, beautiful leg. Mm-hmm. So when the skates were attached to the foot, People would say a beautiful pat, which was the skate itself, not the leg, but the, the, the skate. And the plural of pat is paten, P-A-T-E-N. Uh-huh. And with the mixture of civilization or cultures, the word paten became patin, which is the metal portion attached right. to your foot. Right. But the word never changed, and I keep saying, well, when they created a motor, it was called a motor, or a combustion motor, explosion motor. And when they added the, the, the body or the chassis, it was called a chassis. Well, when they put the two, to, the two together, yeah. it would be called an automobile. Right. But when they put a boot on the, on the patte, which is patin or uh-huh. scats, they never changed the word. It should have been changed and not... Not too long ago, I made a joke, and I said it could have been called in French a boutin, but for boot, 
And tain for pate uh-huh. could have been called butte, <laughs> and people laughed. But there was never a word that was added to the language to distinguish the, the blade itself, which is the skate, to the boot. Right. And the thing in the collection is that I would say most of the pairs that you have don't have boots. That's right. right? Most of them are or would have been strapped to your boot with leather um, straps. straps or there's a lot of them have clamps mm-hmm. that are built into the the base of the the or the foot plate that you would attach to your foot that way so a lot of them don't have boots and the idea of actually selling a skate with a boot on it is a pretty new convention relatively speaking but you can still buy your own your own skates separate from the uh, from the blade you can choose your blade, yep. and you can choose your boot, and then it'll be put together. Right. So when you buy a patin or skate, that's... Yeah. And then you buy a boot, and then the two are put together, but then even after they're put together, it's still called a skate. Right, Which yeah. is Which yeah. is my word, my, my, how would I say, my contention. Uh, it sh- there should be another word. Yeah. But doesn't exist it's yeah. not up to me to create a word for it <laughs> yeah and actually i think so so when we were doing the research for this like i would come over and we would sit and we would talk for hours on end about this you explained this to me about 10 times so in the recordings that i have of those conversations it's you explaining this principle to me a lot and <laughs> going over <laughs> and over and over again um but let, let's talk about the book a little bit and so the book, like, like we said at the start, it just came out November the 10th. Uh, you just got your copies of it this yep. week. Uh, you were very happy yes. to finally have it. Uh, but take us back to at least three and a half years ago. Uh, why did you want to write a book? Well, after so many ex- skate exhibitions, every time, oh, maybe 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I was asked to write a book because they, people would realize that I had some knowledge that should have been put on paper, but I never, I never did it until this man, who did not know that I had a skate collection, I met him and I, he found out. He says, "You got to write a book about this, Mr. Ronald Caza, lawyer," and he pushed me to a point where I said, "Okay." I made a call at uh, Ottawa University some years back, maybe four or five years ago. And Dr. Belanger, who I didn't even know, talked to me on the phone. And I asked him if there would be people at Ottawa U who'd be interested in helping me writing a book. And this is how I ended up with Dr. Sean Graham and Julie Leger, both graduates from Ottawa U. They uh, showed interest in helping me. And three and a half years ago, we sat together, the lawyer, Sean, Julie, myself. We sat together and we established a, uh, a program so that the book would be realized, the book would be uh, a reality someday. Yes. Three and a half years after, <laughs> the book is in my hand, <laughs> thanks to the help I got from Dr. Sh- Dr. Graham and Julie Leger. Yeah, Dr. Graham. Well, thank you. I appreciate the honorific, uh, as, I well. say, as I sit here, um, which is completely unnecessary. But I do remember that meeting. It was the summer, and Julie and I had put together what we thought a book could look like. And we thought what it should look like is kind of what it ended up looking like. Sort of a lot of photos, highlight the collection. 
tell stories about how skates were used over time. And that's sort of what we pitched to you. And I did not realize at the time that we would spend so much time going through the actual collection. So like after we had that meeting and we agreed on it, how we would arrange it and what the sort of general guidelines would be, I came over, it felt like every Saturday for six or seven months. Oh, yeah. Um, and we went through pair by pair. Yep. Uh, took some photographs. We created, we, we cataloged it, right? We created a database of each and every skate. You wrote down the information about each skate that I then transcribed. And then Julie built the database with all the information that we had put together. So we did all that. And then I came over, it felt like every Saturday for another <laughs> few months. And we just talked about what, your, all the information you have about the history of skates, the collection, the different sports and everything. And then I transcribed all those interviews, which I did on half speed. So the interviews that we did, it was about two hours each time. Yeah, just about, yeah. And then I did it on half speed. And then I, whenever I would come over and talk to you, I didn't really recognize your voice because I was used to listening to you on half speed. <laughs> this really <laughs> slow, much deeper voice than you actually have. And from there... We had all the information and then we put together the outline and wrote it and then things changed in the, in the process. But it's interesting to me that this book, for personally, we pitched it, Julie and I pitched our idea to you before I graduated, right? I defended my dissertation after we pitched that to you. So I was not, I didn't have a PhD when we started. Since then, this book has followed me through graduating it's gone with me to Boston, to Harvard. It's gone with me to China and now back here. And it's, it's gone all over with me and it's been worked on at all of those stops. And it's sort of this really cool project that has sort of traced the last three and a half years as I've moved along. And uh, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. But the, the structure of it, I, I'm really proud, frankly, of the structure of it, I have to say. Uh, the way we've structured it is that... You've got right to be proud. <laughs> um, so there's the introduction, and then we did old skates before sports. That's a chapter. And then we did a chapter on each sport, mm -hmm. basically. Uh, and then we had another chapter that is not in the final product because we couldn't figure out the proper name for it, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> frankly, um, which was novelty skates. But we decided to include the novelty skates in, throughout, the book. throughout the book in each yep. chapter. So, mm -hmm. uh, so and the novelty skates are kind of cool. So you make a point. In talking to me uh, several several times, you said you don't want skates just because famous people wore them, right? Each pair you want because it's a unique pair to the collection. So if you already have a type of skate, and mm -hmm. someone says, "Oh, this person wore them," you're not going to buy them just because no. that person wore them, with a couple of exceptions. Yes, the exceptions are Barbara Ann Scott, Gaetan Boucher, and Butch Bouchard, are the, Bobby Hall and Bobby Hall, yep. uh, but. Well, the difference is that the Bobby Hall skates are signed, yes. whereas the other ones aren't signed. Except Barbara, Barbara Scott. and Scott's are signed. Oh, so half of them are signed. But this idea of not wanting celebrity skates is really interesting to me, given that part of what you do with the skates is show them to people, have these exhibitions, and so much of at least contemporary society is based on celebrity. Why the resistance or reluctance to take on celebrity skates? Well, the Hockey Hall of Fame has celebrity skates. When I'm asked, do you have Rocket Richard skates, Bobby Hull skates, Gordie Howe skates? I said, no, but I have them. 
That's my answer. Right. No, but I have them. And then they say, what do you mean, no, and you have them? Well, simply because Butch Bouchard, Rocket Bouchard, Gordie Howe wore the same skates. Could have been from different companies, yeah. but the skate itself. Now, mind you, I'm talking about the skate which is in contact with the ice. Exactly the same. So why make a collection, why build a collection on skate that are all alike, regardless of the person who used them? This is why I say my collection is to show the evolution. So there's no evolution between uh, Emile Bouchard, Gordie Howe, Rocket Richard. There's no evolution in the skate. They're all the same. Right. We have to wait until 1977 to see a change in the hockey skate. As far as figure skate is concerned, uh, my only reason why I have Barbara Ann Scott's skate is because she's the only Canadian athlete or Canadian skater who won four gold medal in the same year, mm -hmm. including the Olympics. And because she's from Ottawa, I figured, well, maybe I should have a pair of Barbara Ann Scott skates. So I looked and looked and never found any. Up until I did the exhibition at the uh, Museum of Civilization, now the Museum of History, where for the launching of the exhibition, there was over 550 invited guests, and Barbara and Scott was one of them. And eventually, they came to me and they said, Mrs. Scott would like to meet with you. So I was honored. I took her on a personal tour of the exhibition, and at the very end, through the conversation, I said, I've been looking for a pair of Barbara Ann Scott skates for years, and I didn't find any. She said to me, she said, I'll see what I can do. And I figured, well, it's a good way of getting rid of someone <laughs> <laughs> just by saying, I'll see what I can do. But two years after, I, got, I received a box from Montreal, and in the box were a pair of figure skating, autographed, and s rather, I should say, signed on the blade by Barbara Ann Scott itself, yeah. uh, herself. It's a signature on the blade, not a, a stamping, it's a signature. So I was really honored to see this. Unfortunately, Barbara Ann Scott passed away four years ago. I wish I could have say thanks to her, but things are like this, so I appreciate the skates. The same as uh, Butch Bouchard, I ended up with his own personal skates as a donation after purchasing through uh, Figure 8 Gating, Figure 8 Boutique, purchasing Butch Bouchard collection of skates. He gave me his own personal skate that he used in the NHL, as well as a pair of uh, his son's skates, also uh, defensemen from Montreal, Canadians. Bobby Hull gave me a pair of skates after uh, setting up, how would I say, fixing up with him an arrangement with a pair of skates that had been stolen out of his house. And to thank me for doing this, well, I got a pair of his own skates, which he signed on the boot. But to say, to come back to the original question, I don't collect personality skates because they're too much alike. There's no evolution. But one pair of skates that I really appreciate too, while we're talking about personality skates is in 1984. 87, I wanted to do a uh, 
promotion for the Olympic Games in Calgary in 1988. So I asked Gaetan Boucher, who is a good friend of mine, if I could borrow a pair of his own skates to do promotion for the Olympic Games. Through his agent, three weeks after, I got a pair of speed skates. There is a sprint skates for long track, which he gave me. And the skates that he gave me were the skate that he used for the gold medal in Sarajevo, right. 500 meters. So again, this is a, a gift that I really appreciate. But I could I could get a pair of skates from Captain Lamedon. They would be the same as right. You know, so the skate is the same. The skate is a skate, but and also the personality. I have nothing against the the persons who did wear uh, did use them, except I I don't want six pairs of skates that are exactly the same. It doesn't add to the no. the goal, which is the evolution of it. That's right. So, with the collection itself, obviously. You say you're going to stop. I don't believe you. Um, <laughs> I really don't. I think you're going to keep getting skates, and it's going to keep adding on. Uh, but what's the ultimate goal? Like, you know, you've talked to me about how you want this collection to stay in Canada, and if you can find somewhere to to put it, that'd be great. But ultimately, what is the the goal of it? My un- my ultimate goal would be to have someone in Canada with enough power to create a sports museum. Not a sports hall of fame. The sports mm. hall of fame museum is one thing, but a sports museum is something else. You could have amateur athletes in any sport. It could be wrestling, could be tennis, it could be skiing, who did do very, very well in the world or in Canada, but are not known because they didn't win this or she didn't win this. At the same time, what that athlete has used to perform an excellent uh, performance, he has or she has artifacts that they don't know what to do with. Right. So a sports hall, a, a sports museum, would be the ideal place for athletes who performed in Canada, and this is where I would like my skates to end up. Now, I don't say that uh, there has to be a sports museum right away. But if someone would be would show enough interest to keep those skates secure in a way, also available for public in a place where people could go and see the collection, because it's uh, I'm not a I'm not ashamed of saying this, it's unique in the world, mm-hmm. and it has to be preserved. But I don't want it in Europe. I don't want it in the States. I'd like to have it in Canada because. Skates in Canada is part of our culture, it's part of our way of life. Yep. If we didn't have skates, I don't know how people would spend winter. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and actually, as I was walking over here, I walked over the canal. Obviously, it's not frozen to the point where people can skate on it, but there's, you know, that thin layer of ice that's just on top of it, so it's already at that point. And uh, so, you know, like, like you say, and, and that's a huge part of Ottawa is that. You remind me of something that I discovered through my readings on thin ice, if you went through, <laughs> I'm talking about the 15th century, if you went through ice, you were a sinner, <laughs> and right away, they would ditch you, they would kill you. Yep. Uh, I'm not afraid of saying the word. They w- you would be killed, 
and buried without anybody knowing about it, but because you had gone through the ice, you were a big sinner, sinner. and you didn't need, yeah. you didn't <laughs> deserve to live. <laughs> That's the, the thinking way back in the 15th century, and I have a written story about this with the names of the art, the uh, cardinal who went to Rome to have this certified. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's in, I can't remember if that's in the book or not. Uh, there's a picture of somebody going through the ice, certainly in the book. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. It is, but they don't, they don't, yeah. they didn't write the, uh, they didn't the, the story. Them. The story is not in it, but we see the man yeah. going through the ice. Yeah. So the, the ultimate goal of, of that, I think is really interesting. And we've talked about it before. What, that could look like and hopefully the book helps maybe spread something and that somebody reads it and is inspired who who is capable of doing something this is like this that. is my hope somebody will read the book and say hey this has this has to be protected this has to be uh, you know secured somewhere and i hope that someone will say well okay i'm interested in keeping your your skates and purchasing your skate or whatever yeah. i once refused a huge amount of money for 68 pairs now I have 367, <laughs> but if someone is interested, I'm willing to talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, good enough. And, and again, so if you're in the Ottawa area, the National Capital Region, on Tuesday, December the 5th at 5 o'clock, we are launching the book. Uh, it's been out for a couple of weeks. Uh, you just got your copies this week. And so it's available, but we're doing our big official book launch on Tuesday, December the 5th at 5 o'clock. Uh, between 5 and 7 at Johnson Hall at Alex Trebek Alumni Hall at the University of Ottawa. So if you're in the National Capital Region, please do come down on the 5th. Uh, I will be there. Uh, Mr. Leduc will be there. This whole family will be there. We'll have skates on display for people to see, some skates from the collection. We'll have a slideshow that shows a bunch of the other pairs in the collection. And you will also be able to hear from Mr. Leduc give a little talk about uh, that, read one of the stories from the book uh, that, that you really like, and we'll also have some some food and some drinks, some refreshments, you can get your book signed, all that fun stuff on December the 5th. And I'm really looking forward for this. It'll be fun, right? That's right. You know, I, I think w I always, I felt that there was a few times in the process you might have gotten ahead of yourself a little bit, and I think the book launch was one of those that you asked me about a lot. Uh, in the process. So I know that you're looking forward to this day. Um, and the book is so well done that when I, I got my copy the other day, well, I started looking at it, and being my first book, without the help of my computer, which I don't have, my computer, <laughs> my computer is between my two ears, <laughs> but thanks to Dr. Graham, uh, the book was a uh, reality, but when I saw it, I was so pleased that I couldn't read it anymore. I had tears in my eyes. <laughs> That's how pleased I was after three and a half years of working and 25 years of being harassed <laughs> to write a book. Well, <laughs> finally, I could hold it in my hands. Yeah, that was, and that was important to you, having like, you didn't want a digital book, you didn't want nope. uh, an oh. e-book, you, you wanted that physical copy the, of it. The, probably the reason for this is because I was a printer for 35 years. Yes, that's true, yeah. <laughs> so having that tangible uh, object was was pretty cool, and, and it's true. People might not believe me when I tell them that you don't have a computer, and we actually we wrote this thing together without you having a computer, which in 2017 is... <laughs> Like a lot of my colleagues just sort of, they have trouble 
wrapping their heads around how we did this without you having a computer. Whenever I had to send you something, like a copy of a chapter, especially when I was in Boston, uh, and I had to send you copies of chapters and do all that, uh, we had to send it through your daughter, who then would have to print it out and then bring it over. It was a whole process. That's right. Um, but we got it done. Yes. And now it's out in the public, and, and people can go buy it. It proves one thing. What's that? You don't have to have a computer to keep on living. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> you just need your kids to have computers. <laughs> um, so, again, the, the title of the book is Lace Up, A History of Skates in Canada. Our friends at Heritage House Publishing out in Victoria published it. Uh, it was a pleasure working with them, uh, Lenore and Leslie and Lara and the entire team out at Heritage House were very good in the whole process. So our thanks to them. Also, Julie Leger, who is not in Ottawa anymore. Again, another change that has happened in this book that Julie was here, right? We worked, we were colleagues working at the same company when we started this book. Yes. She has since, uh, her husband has, has since finished med school he's a resident now at mac at uh, the the hospital at mac uh, she had one baby when she started she now has a child in grade school and another child um <laughs> who is almost a year old so i mean major life changes uh, on julie's end as well uh, yep. so that's why julie is not on the the show today unfortunately because she's in burlington uh she's working and managing two kids with a uh, husband who's a resident and works long hours and she's running uh, running all over the place all the time but but she did an awful lot of she work she did a lot of work on this and we yeah. couldn't have done it without her so mm -hmm. uh, of course our thanks to Julie Leger so again if you're in the National Capital Region December the 5th 5 to 7 at Johnson Hall at the University of Ottawa please do join us for that if you're not in the National Capital Region the title Lace Up A History of Skates in Canada available through Chapters Amazon all those typical places where you can buy books. There is a digital version as well if you're an ebook fan that you can buy through those outlets as well. And you can also look at it through Heritage House Publishing. So all that stuff, again, it's it was a pleasure to work with you and I'm so happy that it's finally out. I appreciate your work and I thank you very much. Well, thank you. So again, uh, that's Jean-Marie Leduc, author of Lace Up a History of Skates in Canada. If you have any questions or comments for the show, historyslam at gmail.com. Twitter is at Dr. Shawnee Fever. And if you're out and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. Thanks for listening to the History Slam podcast. Be sure to check out Active History for more features, articles, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes.